Welcome to Golden Gems with Dave Shaw and Bill Hansen. We review each week the career and personal life of one of the great unforgettable artists of the golden days of radio. So please join with us on a trip down memory lane as we take a look at today's artist. Then go to our website, www.goldengems.net, where we will also look at more of their career and play some of their most unforgettable great hits, which we are unable to share on the podcast. We invite you to join us there also. But for now, sit back and relax as we talk about the life of today's unforgettable artist of the golden days of radio. Welcome to Golden Gems, our podcast featuring today Bert Kempert and the orchestra. Dave and Bill once again reviewing one of the great artists of the golden days of radio. Bert Kempert, the son of a painter and decorator, Berthold Heinrich Kempert, was born on October 16, 1923, in Barmbeck, Hamburg. And he was only six years old when perhaps fate laid the first stepping stone on his path to an international career in the guise of a taxicab. It ran Little Phipps, as he was nicknamed, down, and as it was the taxi driver's fault, the insurance company paid out 500 Deutschmarks in damages, a small fortune in those days of severe economic hardship. Whatever may have persuaded Mother Kemper to do such a thing, what she decided to do with this money proved to be a second and vital stepping stone into the future. Phipps is going to have a piano. So that he could make appropriate use of this instrument, the youngster attended Wilhelm Witt's private music school in Wilhelmsburg, south of the River Elbe. Though referred to somewhat derogatorily as the City Pipers, this school, in fact, sought to foster gifted pupils. And it was here that Berthold not only learned to play the piano, but the clarinet and accordion as well and with success. Kempert turned out to be extremely talented and hardly past his 16th birthday was engaged by Hans Busch Orchestra, an ensemble that was highly regarded both in Hamburg and beyond. And so a young boy's dream of going to sea was finally put to rest. From now on, it was to be music and not the life of a mariner. In 1945, Kempert met his future wife, Hannelore, it was a love at first sight, and they got married on August 14th the following year. Daughter Marion was born, and the young family moved back to Hamburg. And very soon his time had come. He was billed as the foremost variety touring show, Master Accordionist B. Campert. He'd made it. His name was in print, if only on a poster. However, in the confusion that reigned after the war, there was only one thing you could be sure of, namely that nothing would be the same the next day. Along with six other musicians, Camfort left the touring company and in the ensuing months worked as band leader as well as taking up offers to perform as a soloist, appearing at, among other venues, the well-to-do Esplanade. Offers of work which he naturally readily accepted for every single Dutchmark counted. Work was not easy to come by, but Camfort's high-class musicianship helped with the Allied Broadcasting Station, the British Forces Network, 
for example, provided him with commissions. Soon, though trying to meet his twofold commitments, proved too much of a burden. He dissolved the band and continued on his own. A new composition here, a production job there. In short, he was a much sought-after artist on his way to the top. Aware that he had a great deal to offer as an artist, from now on he worked on his own account and on his own responsibility, under the name of Berthold Camfort Orchestra, and began writing music of his own under the pseudonym Mark Bones. In Hamburg, 1951, their daughter Doris was born, and the name Berthold Camfort was now well known for its quality, both in and around Hamburg. So it was only a question of time before the Hamburg-based record company, Polydor, which had long since had an eye on his musical all-around talent, approached him and secured his services. As it was fashionable at that time for artists to work under a stage name, for a while he appeared as bandleader Bob Parker. As producer, he looked after many of Polydor's star singers of the day, such as Mona Baptiste, Margot Exkins, and Rudy Scherkel, and in his role as talent scout promoted Evelyn Acey, a contralto and recent find from the Hess State Opera in Wiesbaden, recording 12 songs with a singer, now rechristened Cindy Ellis, for her entree into the world of popular music. In the meantime, at the Washington Bar in Hamburg St. Pauli nightclub district, there was a singer starting to make his mark as an artist, a singer who would become one of the greats in the world of German popular music, Freddie Quinn. In 1959, Bert Kempert arranged and produces Die Guitar und das Mir, The Guitar and the Sea for Him, one of the first major hits in the history of entertainment of that day. Also at this time, spinning on many a record turntable, was a 1958 Kempert arrangement of the film song Midnight Blues, an expressive piece of music that featured in the German hit parade for 22 weeks and reaching the number six spot, moreover being one of the pieces in demand on the playlist of the Armed Forces Network, AFN in Europe. It was therefore given a lot of airtime and sold well outside of Germany too. The success with Freddie Quinn was no flash in the pan, though. Shortly afterwards, there came Morgan, artfully arranged and presented under Kempert's direction. It earned the exceptional singer from Croatia, Ivo Robic, his first gold record. And to the present day, Morgan remains one of the most attractive and successful songs in the entire history of German popular music. No question about it. Bert Kempert's skills had long since become of international quality, with 1960 witnessing a cooperation of a type that was as special as it was groundbreaking. When Elvis Presley, the idol of America's teens, was posted to Germany to do his military service, great pains were taken to avoid this interrupting his career. A new film starring the rock and roller was planned and suitable pieces of music were needed. And once again, Kempert's instinct did not let him down. He put his money on the folk song, Wooden Heart, and made an arrangement of it. This production not only became a worldwide hit for the king, but sung by his compatriot Joe Dowell 
it climbed to the very top of the Billboard charts. Feelers were now put out in the direction of America, and very soon the name Burt Kempert would be established on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And this, although he had not as yet played his most powerful trump card, Wonderland by Noct, had already been written and was languishing fully arranged and produced in a drawer. However, as is so often the case, a prophet counts for little in his own land. Kempert was forced to realize that there was but limited interest in Germany for this beguilingly beautiful melody. Bird and Hahn were agreed that the times now come to head for America, and they took their production with them on the plane. Milt Gebler was the man the Kempferts went to see in New York, head of A&R at DECA, and someone who knew the entertainment business like the back of his hand. Gabler immediately recognized what exceptional talent this man from Germany possessed. He had Wonderland by Nacht, released as Wonderland by Night, and out of Berthold Kampfert, he made Bert Kampfert and his orchestra. And Gabler was proved right. First, this instrumental shook the U.S. market to its very foundations, and then rose rapidly to the top of all the relevant charts worldwide. Bert Kampfert had made it. His name had now attained international prestige. Back in Hamburg, Kampfert was then to make his next encounter, an encounter that would have far-reaching consequences. At the Top Ten Club on the Reeperbahn, his attention was drawn to Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Pete Best, four young musicians from Liverpool. At that time, they were known as the Beat Brothers and provided the backing for fellow Breton singer and guitarist Tony Sheridan. And once again, Camfort's instincts did not fail him. He listened to their playing and produced several songs with these youngsters from the British Isles. For other musicians, such a collaboration would have been the ultimate high point in their career. For Camfort, though, it was a little more than an interlude as a talent scout. His own music was naturally the determining factor in his life, and his compositions just seemed to flow from his pen, song after song, belying any suspicion of being mass-produced music. In the early 60s, the music Camfort wrote himself, or the arrangements he made of other composers' music, only served to reinforce his already unimpeachable reputation. His inimitable sound, those distinctive dry-cracking figures in the bass, a swinging rhythm, brass, and blend of choir and strings so meticulously underlaid that it seemed to hover, continued to land him in success after success. His arrangements of Bye Bye Blues, Red Roses for a Blue Lady, and Three O'Clock in the Morning set new standards, and the pieces with which he, in whatever form or function, had a hand in, seemed to take off virtually of themselves and be guaranteed to climb to the top spots in the hit parades. In 1965, the American production company Universal engaged Kempert to write the music for the Hollywood film A Man Could Get Killed. And it was from this music that a song emerged that would become one of the most famous songs ever written, Strangers in the Night. In 1966, 
it catapulted Frank Sinatra back to the top of the charts. A singer whose ancestors had once immigrated from Italy and whose name in recent years had only appeared in the lower reaches of any of the charts. A few months earlier, Kempert had also helped another Italo-American to a worldwide hit Spanish eyes brought Al Martino back into the limelight with a vengeance. Sinatra and Martino, however, were no exceptions. Leading American stars above all were eager to perform Kempert creations. Wayne Newton was garlanded by Donka Shane, even today still a welcome closing number at the end of all manner of shows. The great Nat King Cole had a triumphal success with Love, L-O-V-E, as did Jack Jones with Lady, Dean Martin with I Can't Help Remembering You, and Sammy Davis Jr. with Lonely is the Name. They could all rely on the high-quality workmanship originating for Burt Kempert's pen. And fellow artists such as Johnny Mathis, Anita Kerr, Pete Fountain, and Bobby Hackett, hardly strangers to success themselves, did not hesitate to fill whole LPs with exclusively Kempert music. Indeed, ever since the mid-1960s, the repertoires of renowned soloists, bands, and orchestras would not be the same without such songs as African Beat, A Swingin' Safari, That Happy Feeling, and many, many more. Current and often short-lived fashions and music were never something to bother Kempert unduly. In the early 1970s, as if he felt he still had to prove his own versatility, he recorded his version of the disco classic theme from Shaft, which resulted in a call from Isaac Hayes, the man who had composed and originally performed the top hit. Hayes announced over the phone, I like it better than my own. And with a modesty that was characteristic of the man, Kempert acknowledged the praise of his successful colleague. That he himself could easily switch over to the style of the day is demonstrated by two outstanding compositions of his own that he wrote in the summer of 1978, together with his long-standing friend and partner, Herbert Rybine, Keep On Dancing, and Frisco Disco. Once up to speed, there was little that could slow Camfort down. Anyone who would assume that the fast and furious life he led in the 60s would be followed by some more leisurely way of going about things was sorely mistaken. Yet, despite his full schedule, Camfort did take the time off when urgently needed to chill out, to take a break, to recharge his batteries, as well as spending several weeks every summer at his holiday home on Majorca. He also flew once or twice a year from Switzerland, where he now lived and worked, to Florida and the Everglades, a place of retreat for him. There he would stay with people he knew who lived on houseboats, and go off on fishing trips with them. A person fond of nature, Camfort felt completely happy and at ease there. Bert Camfort's On Vinyl had long since become a synonym for success, of course, but his fans also hoped and clamored ever more frequently for the opportunity to experience his unparalleled sound at a live performance. And in 1974, the concerts he gave in England turned out to be a crowning moment in his career with Britons. Staunch fans of Kempfert and his music from the outset came to enjoy two stupendous appearances 
at the orchestra made in London's venerable Royal Albert Hall. News of the rapturous reception they have been given in London, of course carried back over the North Sea to Germany in no time. Camfort was equally as enthusiastic himself and began by taking on the music direction of two major TV shows with Freddie Quinn. And the best was still to come. Kurt Colleen, the Hamburg impresario, succeeded in organizing a spectacular concert tour of Germany. No mean feat, considered that Colleen had to coordinate concert dates to suit the almost 50 top-class musicians from Europe who played in the orchestra. One of the many high points of these live performances was a special segment featuring swing music, a style of music that especially appealed to Campfort, with the Count Basie version of Strangers in the Night, for example, being one of the ones he liked most. And the LP Swing, recorded in October 1977, served to underscore his love for this particular sound. With Swing, he fulfilled a dream going back to the days of his youth, an LP with which a great and talented musician paid his own very musical tribute to the works of legends such as Woody Herman, Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, and others. Numbers such as At the Woodchopper's Ball, In the Mood, and Lullaby of Birdland were the classics among classics in a fabulous array of songs. Now at last in Germany as well, Bert Kampert's music enjoyed the status that had long been due to it and its creator. German television responded in a 1979 presented Bert Kempert in concert with a top-class Swedish singer, Sylvia Wrethammer, pairing with this fabulous orchestra. That, in turn, naturally led to a fresh concert tour throughout Germany, including appearances in Luxembourg and Zurich, a tour which helped Bert Kempert keep his mind from dwelling on the sudden death of his friend, Herbert Rybein, on July 28, 1979 an event that affected Kempert deeply. The last notes of this tour had hardly died away before a new decade dawned, and scheduled for the new year a second tour of England, following performances in Manchester, Birmingham, Croydon, and Eastbourne. This tour concluded with a concert in London, the venue for this celebrated event again being, as in 1974, the Royal Albert Hall. And even after the fourth encore, the over 5,000 enthusiastic listeners in the hall were still unwilling to let Kempert and his orchestra go. In the end, Kempert himself, as exhausted as he was pleased by this reception, stepped forward on the 16th of June, 1980, and brought the evening to an end with the honest announcement, I'd love to go on, but I've run out of music, and my musicians are thirsty. Two days after the completion of this demanding tour, Bert and Honey flew to the holiday house they shared on Mallorca. Even on the plane, he was already sorting through new offers. There was no end to the request for more live concerts, and he was also planning to record a new album at the beginning of October. Yet on June 21, 1980, everything changed. The news agencies reported, Bert Campert has passed away the result of a stroke suffered on Mallorca. He was just 56 years of age. The music world mourned his sudden 
an untimely death. On January 15, 1981, it had been Camfort's wish that his final resting place be in his beloved Everglades in Florida. His ashes were then scattered there on the water. Camfort is survived by his wife, Hanalor, whom he met while on tour in 1945. They married a year later on August 14, 1946. They had two daughters, Marion and Doris. Well, Bert Camfort was like his music, quietly spoken. Despite all his tremendous success internationally, he remained a modest person, and the innumerable awards did nothing to change him. In 1993, he was given the highest honor that can be accorded a composer, his posthumous induction into America's Songwriter Hall of Fame. Currently, Bert Camfort Plotz, a square in the Barmbeck district of Hamburg, Germany, is named after him and his memory. Well, thanks for being with us today. We've enjoyed going back through a little bit of the personal life and success of Bert Camfort. Hope you've enjoyed being with us. If you haven't done so, please go to goldengems.net and listen to some of his great music. In the meantime, we'll look forward to seeing you next week on another episode of Golden Gems. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you're having as much enjoyment as we are reliving some of the unforgettable memories from the golden days of radio. To learn more about the career of today's artist and listen to several of their greatest hits, we invite you to go to our website, www.goldengems.net. May we also encourage you to tell your friends about the show. We would love to have them join us in these little trips down memory lane. And as always, we invite your feedback or comments on goldengemsradio at gmail.com. So until next episode, this is Dave and Bill heading back into the archives to dust off some more unforgettable memories to share with you on Golden Gems.